Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Nothing Impossible. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on News Radio 1120 KMOX. Welcome in to our weekly conversation about local innovation here in the St. Louis area. On The Voice of St. Louis, Michael, Travis with you and don't worry. We're going to talk about Amazon at some point during the show today. Wow, that uh, talk about putting people in a tizzy this week. Oh, across the country, coast to coast, every city, well, really every city that's over a million people, <laughs> which is their, their minimum requirement. So Amazon has announced, if you have not heard this, that they are, I mean, first off, this is like the world's biggest online retailer, um, one of the biggest companies in the world, period, announcing that they've basically filled out Seattle and they need a second headquarters city and so anybody in north america if you have more than a million people in your metro area give us an application let us know what you've got amazon's looking for a summer home (laughs) so (laughs) well mayor lida cruson and county executive steve stanger have said that st louis is in well let's see what happens i mean that sounds very pessimistic but this this is like competing for the olympics this is huge and it's actually probably better than competing for the Olympics because you're not leaving a, a vacant Olympic stadium yeah. afterward. This is this is going to be game-changing for who whichever city gets it. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get the view from Seattle, of all places. That's where Amazon's based. That's where it grew up. And so how are they reacting with the hometown company looking for a second headquarters, not leaving, but still some trepidation there? We'll find out exactly coming up when we go to Seattle. But first, we're going to take you to the new executive director of Venture Cafe Tokyo. And we're also going to talk about the governor's innovation report. We're going global. Like we're talking about, we're hitting Seattle, we're talking about Venture Cafe Tokyo, and we're talking about the governor's uh, report, but they're all local impacts. This, this is all, you know, St. Louis is a global company, a global city, and we talk about it. Yeah. And the governor's innovation report helping, uh, they hope to bring more startups and to help the ecosystem in St. Louis maybe attract a company like Amazon. So, We'll talk about all that up next on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. And now, back to Nothing Impossible. Once again, your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on KMOX. Welcome back in. Michael and Travis with you. And the governor's big innovation report is out. Governor Greitens coming into the governor's mansion in Missouri and promising that he's going to take a fresh look, a fresh fresh approach. And, in fact, the theme for the governor's annual economic development conference this year really could be the theme for his administration so far, which is not business as usual. I'm glad we are looking at not business as usual because uh, this is not an administration as usual. So uh, we'll we'll see how this continues to play out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear a little bit about what this uh, this innovation task force, it was comprised of a lot of innovation leaders across the state from organizations uh, involved in bioscience and startups and even some of the universities represented. So this innovation task force came up with a report, especially timely, released uh, right as Amazon announces they're looking for a second headquarters, placing a lot of attention on cities and whether they 
rank when it comes to these different metrics, talent, and that sort of thing. So let's hear from Rob Dixon. He's the acting director of the Missouri Department of Economic Development. He talked with reporters after one of the sessions at the Governor's Economic Development Conference, and here is that conversation with Rob Dixon. We engaged over 2,000 people in the course of 75 days. They developed uh, an extensive and uh, thoughtful report on how Missouri as a whole can be better supportive and more conducive to entrepreneurship. The governor set uh, a broad vision for the group, which was to help make Missouri the hub of the innovation economy between the coasts in the next five to ten years. And so in order to do that, of course, we have to really consider all kinds of different ideas. One of the things that really emerged from that, and I think it gets at the question you're asking is, you know, there are are really strong uh, centers of innovation and entrepreneurship in parts of Missouri, but it's the St. Louis uh, momentum that's going on, or it's the Kansas City or, or Springfield. What we're really trying to do is to take a statewide approach to this so that in every corner of the state, entrepreneurs and in rural Missouri and suburban and urban Missouri can all really access all things related to innovation and entrepreneurship to help them grow. And so that's, I think, speaks to that. St. Louis entrepreneurs have been concerned about Missouri Technology Corporation. And I know the the task force uh, recommended continuing with MTC, but they could have recommended also a new program. And what do you think happens from here with MTC? And what is the need even beyond that, that the report found for more venture venture capital access in St. Sure. Louis and Missouri? So I think I just point out one thing. So the, the governor specifically asked that the task force does not create a list of the top you know, one, two, three, four, five consensus recommendations. He asked for not watered down consensus recommendations, but just get all of the ideas on the table. So there are many, many ideas in that report, uh, ranging from large to small, and they address lots of different things. And so the point was just to start the conversation and we can continue that dialogue. So specifically about the Missouri Technology Corporation, I think we heard from across the state um, that there's a lot of interest in building on the momentum, the great work that MTC has done. You know, if we look at our state's entrepreneurial uh, Uh, support activities and things like that. We, we established them back in the early 90s. And if you think about what has changed in the economy, what has changed in the world since that time, just technology alone, we need to make sure that we're taking a fresh look at, at really all of these things that we're talking about. MTC has done great work. The report actually talks about how we can build on MTC and help make it uh, really the, the vehicle for our, our new momentum going forward. Does that mean um, private investment? Sure. So one of the ideas that emerged from the task force report is one that we're really excited about and will continue to continue to talk about, and that's the creation of a a Missouri Innovation Fund. And it's a combination of public and private uh, investors that really would be professionally managed by a sophisticated entity that could help make those strategic and smart investments in promising startups and entrepreneurs. So again, these are ideas that are being discussed. This idea has gotten some early excitement uh, because of the need that's out there, and I think we'll continue that dialogue. But yeah. One of the things I've heard about MTC is the accountability or the, the keeping track of the positive things that they maybe have done, not being able to show what they've been able to accomplish. And do you think that more more tracking, more accountability, and just more you know keeping tabs on things is also something that could come out of this report? Absolutely. You know, across the board in state government, we are developing performance metrics. We're doing a lot of uh, things that most businesses and large corporations around the world already do, which is track your performance and benchmark those to your budgeting, benchmark those to your strategic activities. That just makes sense. And those are some of the initiatives that the governor has put in place since he's come into office. 
that applies to MTC, it applies to the Department of Economic Development, it applies to really all of state government as we try to be citizen focused and, and really sharpen our, our efforts to just make sure that we're tracking on those measures. It also mentions branding and the perception of St. Louis a lot. What do you think, especially as opportunities like Amazon come forward where St. Louis has got to make the case and Missouri, what do you think needs to change about how do you change people's perception of the state? Yeah, and I, I would note too that it's not just about the perception of one particular region, but really the perception of our state as a whole. And as we talk about branding and we talk about how to attract world-class talent, how to keep our world-class talent here, you have to look at how is Missouri's story being told to the world. And we want to make sure that it's being told in a way that really highlights the great things that are going on, that talks about the momentum, that really all of the things that all of us that live here and, and do business here know why this is a great place to invest and start businesses. We want to make sure that we're telling that story uh, appropriately around the world. So talent uh, is a big part of economic development and making sure that companies have a skilled and ready workforce. The same is true for existing and established businesses, and it's the same uh, thing for innovators and entrepreneurs. So we want to make sure that we're telling our story in a way that makes Missouri and makes all of our communities really welcoming and open and, and just attractive to those folks. What, what happens from here? I mean, it's kind of a collection of ideas. Right. Where does it go? Yeah, absolutely. So over the coming uh, coming months, uh, weeks, we'll be looking at what are these ideas that have emerged. We'll be continuing the dialogue with public leaders, with private leaders, and really trying to focus in on some of those that have, um, frankly, uh, the most promise and the most op uh, opportunity for us to, to really start taking a look at. I mentioned one earlier with the Innovation Fund that has really been kind of identified as one that has sort of risen to the surface, that has gotten a lot of folks excited. So we'll t start talking about those. But this is a process that uh, really was designed to be the beginning of the beginning. So we engage this group across the state, again, more than 2,000 people, and we're going to continue to do that for the next uh, uh, road ahead for sure. Amazon saying second headquarters somewhere, yeah. up to 50,000 jobs. Absolutely. What does, uh, we've had big efforts in the past, the 777X, the China Hub. Is this going to be one of those huge statewide efforts to try to get Amazon? into an urban center in, in, in the state of Missouri? I'll tell you, that news is absolutely exciting. It is a large project. There's a lot of jobs. Uh, it's a global brand that we all know uh, and hear about quite a bit. Actually, everybody interacts with Amazon just about every single day. I can't get into any specifics about uh, what we will or won't be doing on that. Um, economic development is a process that is, uh, is, is frankly very confidential in terms of how we interact with our clients and how we uh, help them make those decisions. But I'll tell you, it highlights exactly what we're here to talk about this week, and that is that we're competing for jobs in a global economy. This company can go anywhere it wants around the world. We should make the case in terms of why Missouri and what assets we have to offer, and I know we'll be continuing that conversation ahead. What do you think the, the case is for Missouri beyond the, what we've heard before, that it's, it's cheap or it's capital efficient or we can give you tax breaks, but what's the case when Amazon says we want an urban center, we want mass transit, we want a skilled workforce ready to go? What's the case for Missouri? Well, some of the things that we're here to talk about this week, of course, are the same issues that all companies are dealing with, and that is want to make sure that they have a business climate that's supportive and conducive to their growth, want to make sure they have that skilled and talented workforce that, uh, that will help their companies grow, and of course, and then of course, uh, you know, they need to take a look at uh, all sorts of things related to just the regulatory environment that, that Missouri has to, to deal with for them. So that's why the governor has really proposed some of these initiatives, uh, cutting red tape, getting business out of the way so that they can be uh, welcomed and open here in the state. So we heard about this possible other vehicle, more of a uh, state-based or state-led uh, investment fund that's both public money and some private dollars being thrown into it. I know other states have experimented with that. Uh, I like that as a model. Uh, 
But what it does is it's really money towards startups. It's not the programmatic dollars that MTC used to p- provide. So for programs like T-Rex and for Arch Grants, which have benefited from some MTC funding, sure. if there's now just an investment, a professional investment fund for companies, that's going to be focused on that. It's not going to be giving grants to these organizations anymore. What do you think happens to an Arch Grants then? Well, I, I think that those... Um, Whenever you're grant dependent, right, when you're dependent, like grant sources dry up all the time. And I think for a program like Arch Grant specifically, you know, they um, it's philanthropic money that's put into startups. And I think that there are more options now. Uh, You know, a company might come here for Arch Grants, but they could also come here for Estadia Ventures. They can come here for Capital Innovators. They can come here for the Yield Lab. Like there's other ways to bring companies in. And I think the people that used to give money to Arch Grants where there was no opportunity for a financial upside, right? Because they're not getting equity or ownership in the company. They might say, if I'm a, a, a if I'm a philanthropist or a person of means, instead of putting it towards arch grants, I might put it towards something where there's a financial upside. I think we'll still see a net, the net number of companies being attracted because of these other accelerator programs will be strong. But arch grants will need to find a way to either continue to fund itself or maybe shift its business model a little bit uh, so that people find that as being a, a viable a place to put their money to have a positive impact in the community. And that just one part of the innovation report also addressed uh, things like talent and education, addressed uh, branding, you just heard, how to make the St. Louis area more top of mind and a better perception for folks who are not from here. Uh, so check out the Governor's Innovation Report. Coming up next, we're going to check out Venture Cafe Tokyo. That's right. That's up next, Venture Cafe Tokyo. Who knew? And now, back to Nothing Impossible. Once again, your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on KMOX. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible, Michael and Travis. And uh, we're joined uh, on the phone with uh, somebody that I think St. Louis should get to know, Yasu Yamakawa, who is the newest, Michael, get this, he is the newest executive director for Venture Cafe Tokyo. Tokyo world domination happening with Venture Cafe, it seems like. Yeah, Yasu, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, I thought since we have you in town, it would be great to uh, we'll talk a little bit about your background, uh, because I really want to focus a little bit on the this issue of failure that, uh, that you are an expert at for a variety of reasons, mostly research reasons, not because you are a failure uh-huh. yourself. Uh, yeah. But uh, what you've learned, uh, and you've been able to experience St. Louis a little bit in the last uh, 48 hours or so, so a little bit about the St. Louis experience. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, a little background on you. Myself, uh, I have a multicultural background. I've been living in eight different countries around the world, uh, even in the United States. I lived two years in uh, California, two years in Ohio, uh, four years in Texas. This is my eighth year in Boston. Uh, It's my first time in St. Louis, and I'm loving it. (laughs) Uh, Like you said, I've been appointed uh, Venture Cafe uh, Tokyo Executive Director. I'll be spearheading the efforts of bringing entrepreneurial mindset and innovation to the city of Tokyo, and it's just been exciting. We've been talking, uh, we just talked on the show about branding for uh, Missouri and the St. Louis region, so I'm always interested to know, what do people think of St. Louis? Maybe before they come, they're getting on the plane, what what is the image, what's the, the... image of St. Louis that has transcended uh, to form an impression? And then what's it been like since you visited? What have you been most interested by? My impression of St. Louis before coming here is a very close-knit community. And because I've known Travis, uh, an entrepreneurial community that is changing and evolving, 
but I hate to say I'm a hockey fan. I'm a diehard hockey player, so I cannot talk about the Blues. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now, Boston Bruins, or I think as long as you don't say the Blackhawks, we can we'll be okay. Well, I, I, I'm in the era uh, when I played. Uh, it's the Holland Holland Oh, okay. Uh, so Brett Hall has been uh, my ultimate uh, uh, player uh, myself. I've been uh, using the number 16. Uh, so there's a lot of history behind uh, me and my love for uh, Brett Hall. Oh, you should wander over to Scott Trade Center, see if he's, you know, he works for the Blues now. Huh? He might be over there. <laughs> Travis, you better take care of that Travis, before he leaves yes. town. We'll Please see if we can make that happen. <laughs> so Yasu, tell us a little bit about what you're, uh, you know, as you're, you've learned some stuff in St. Louis, spent some time at Venture Cafe. What are you excited about as you take Venture Cafe over to Tokyo for the very first time? It's the first expansion into Asia for Venture Cafe. Yes, I, I think mostly the cultural side of things, uh, the, the way we think, the way we behave, um, the, the things that are taken for granted might not be taken for granted. I can't go into the specifics uh, uh, here, uh, but um, uh, it, it's just a change in uh, the mindset, uh, the, the way people uh, approach about entrepreneurship, innovation. Uh, just as an example, so when you go into Japan and when you talk about entrepreneurs, uh, it's really about um, less likely a positive image, but more likely a negative image because uh, people will think that if you're an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur just because you couldn't work for a big, large corporation. Hmm. So to, to change that around, um, uh, lots of uh, corporate spinoffs, uh, university spinoffs, uh, what we call elite entrepreneurs that come from um, premier uh, universities and corporates, uh, they have been trying to change uh, the, the image of entrepreneur and entrepreneurship in general. So just to just to bring in innovation, it, it sounds cool, and it sounds like we need innovation. Corporates, uh, uh, we have the understanding, but just to execute, just to, to change that social perception is going to be a, a big major concern or a challenge that I'm willing to uh, cope with. Well, it's, it's interesting because you think about, uh, especially when it comes to consumer electronics and companies like Sony or uh, on the automotive side, what Mitsubishi and, and Toyota have done, uh, you, you think of innovation and Japan going hand in hand, but maybe innovation and entrepreneurship don't necessarily go hand to hand in the Japanese culture. Is that correct? Yes, true. That is correct. And uh, so you've spent some time at, at Venture Cafe uh, here in St. Louis, and you've also spent some time in Boston. Uh, teaching at Babson University and also engage in the Boston ecosystem. Uh, give us a, a quick assessment on what you've seen in St. Louis. You mentioned the hospitality and the closeness of the community. Anything else stand out to you? Well, uh, diversity of people coming here and the seriousness of what they want coming here. Hmm. They know People know what they want, uh, and people are really serious about uh, the, the connecting, the networking part of things. So back again to the Asian culture, when you say networking, when you go to a conference, it's not really about uh, connecting yourself, selling yourself to uh, getting some value out of the connection, but it's more like a greeting uh, for necessity. You're just going there for the sake of, you know, part of your job or something like that. But here, uh, not just in St. Louis, but in Cambridge and overall the innovation hubs uh, that we have here in the U.S., People are, are really genuinely interested in connecting with people and then getting things done. We're so talking. Yeah. 
Um, I'm sorry, we're talking to Yasu Yamakawa, the uh, new executive director for Venture Cafe Tokyo, who's uh, spending a couple of days in St. Louis as he's uh, learning the ropes and uh, actually teaching us quite a few things as well. Uh, Yasu, speaking of teaching things, y- your your academic background uh, is teaching entrepreneurship, but you have a special focus on understanding and looking at failure differently. Uh, talk a little bit about that, because I will give you a little bit of a, a background on St. Louis we don't talk about failure really well here. Like uh, the Saint, the Midwestern mindset is that uh, you know if if things fail, you just move on and do something else. But you don't really talk about it. You don't diagnose it. Uh, you don't celebrate it at all. But what what have your what's your research shown as as you've looked at failure through the lens of academia? Well, that is very typical. Um, and uh, uh, well, by the way, when you come to Babson College and when you ask for the failure guy. <laughs> Uh, very likely they will take you to me. <laughs> so I do a lot of teaching and research on failure. And like you said, uh, just the, the word failure, uh, there's some stigma associated with it. So just to have a session on what failure is for you uh, is very important. I, I teach a lot of executive programs, and with the first hour is just spent on what is failure. And you, you'll be surprised at how failure is defined differently among uh, individuals. And we, we have fun with the first hour, and it's just really important that you define what failure is for you because that becomes like an acceptable, affordable loss. So when you are in the entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial never, uh, you, you're going to make mistakes. But knowing that you will, you're going to anticipate, but knowing how, how far you can fail it could be time, it could be money, it could be, it could be your reputation, but knowing that you set your boundaries for failure, uh, it makes it uh, fun for you to uh, enjoy the endeavor. Uh, just as an example, uh, you go to a, uh, uh, you go gambling, and then you just take uh, some uh, cash, no credit card. So knowing that, you, you know, your limit might be $300, $400, whatever it is, uh, you, you know what to spend. That's your affordable, acceptable loss. So knowing that, you, you'll get to enjoy your time. So if you so have an affordable, if you yeah, have an affordable, you, let me just ask real quick. So if you have an affordable, acceptable loss, that's okay. If you go beyond that, then that might be failure. Right. Interesting. But it, it all depends. It all yeah. depends on uh, how you define failure. People mm-hmm. don't have definitions for failure. They just call it a pivot until you actually re- <laughs> achieve a success. And, and that's the way to go. It, it's just, again, the mindset of how failure is not a stigma. It's something that you learn from. It's positive. So when I teach in Babson College, Whenever students make a mistake, I, I just say, what do you say? And then they say, how lucky you are. <laughs> so they're, they're trained to say how failure is good. So yes. uh, making them at, at a younger stage to be able to uh, talk about your failure, even share your failure experience, and, and, and almost brag about it at the end of the year, uh, they feel really comfortable about making mistakes because it's a positive experience, a, a learning experience overall. Yeah, those who, who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. So what's your best advice once I've figured out, all right, what is failure? What are my limits? How do I set things up? How do you, what's your advice for then learning from whether you call it a pivot or you call it a failure or whatever name you attach to it? How do you, how do you learn? The, the one thing that I recommend is whatever the, the real cause may be, just find something that you did wrong. Uh, so uh, my research, I, I've had uh, a talk with uh, more than 200 entrepreneurs who failed, and I'm looking at what they attribute their cause of failures with, 
how do they motivate to get back in the game so it's it's all about like internal external attribution of blame intrinsic uh, extrinsic motivation to come back in the game but overall those who actually uh, attribute internally so regardless of the true cause so it's really difficult to to really know uh, what the true cause of the failure is because it's not just one but it's a couple of things uh, mixed together but uh, those who actually tend to find something that they did wrong, uh, they learn more. So when you when you fail for the first time, just try to find something that you did wrong as opposed to uh, blaming on others, like uh, the customer preference change, industry dynamics, supply chain, whatever it is that might have been the true cause, just find something that you might have contributed to the to the failure because you have control over it and you can improve it and you can, you can do better. So my research uh, shows that those who do attribute internally do uh, do better in their second round. Nice. I, I love the idea of finding that one or those one or two things that you role that you played in this yes. minor or catastrophic failure. Because I think we have a we have a tendency to uh, shift blame all the time uh, or look for external blame. Uh, but even if there are substantial external factors, there are at least some internal factors. At least one internal factor that could be the individual or a slight behavior. That's great. Yes. Well, Yasu, thanks so much for uh, jumping on the call and joining us. Uh, I will try to get you over to the Scott Trade Center and see if we can find <laughs> Brett Hull run, running around the, uh, the, the rink somewhere. Uh, did you, you didn't bring your skates with you by chance, did you? I wish I did. <laughs> if I knew, I would have brought my whole equipment. <laughs> well, Yasu uh, Yamakawa, the uh, new executive director of Venture Cafe Tokyo, best of luck to you, and thanks for hanging out in St. Louis. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. And coming up next, we'll talk about Amazon and what's the reaction in Seattle to all this second headquarters news. We'll find out as Nothing Impossible continues on KMOX. And now, back to Nothing Impossible. Once again, your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on KMOX. All right, welcome back in. Michael and Travis talking about local innovation and Amazon certainly set off uh, the innovation communities, I think, in just about every city, a uh, major city across the country, with their announcement this week, Travis, of a second headquarters outside of the Seattle area. You would think that the uh, International Olympic Committee had just made an announcement of looking for the next city for the 20-whatever Olympics. Oh, but yeah. uh, uh, everybody's scrambling to put a nice package together. I think they have a 30-day window to get a package. It's short. Yeah. It's the beginning of October. Well, let's find out. Pro- you know why? It's because Amazon delivers quickly. So they want like these packages delivered as quickly as possible. There's a prime joke somewhere in there. <laughs> Let's talk with Hannah Scott right now. She's a reporter at Cairo Radio, K-I-R-O, in Seattle, one of our sister CBS affiliates. And Hannah, first off, thank you for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me. So first off, you know, this reaction is set off uh, across the country in all of these other cities. But in Amazon's hometown, what have people been saying about the second headquarters news? Well, I'll tell you what, this really took everybody off guard. And we've really had some mixed reaction. It depends on, on who uh, you ask. For some of our local politicians, uh, the governor, for instance, issued a statement saying, you know, uh, we've had other big companies like Boeing who've moved some jobs out of state, but he's confident that Amazon will continue to do other things and continue to grow in the state, and he's going to talk to them about that. Pretty much the same deal for uh, Seattle's mayor, who said he's going to talk to the company about their long-term plans. Then you have some city officials who are outraged and think it's, uh, and, and some state lawmakers as well who think it's the dark. I think one of them tweeted out that it was like, the darkest day for business in Seattle in decades or something like that. So I don't really think anybody knows for sure how this is going to impact us, but really mixed reaction. Our local tech people, though, 
a lot of them are very disappointed. Uh, they would have liked to see these 50,000 jobs stay here. And uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, the impact that Amazon has had in their tenure over their course of history in in Seattle. How has uh, how has that helped redevelop the the city and and really set the tone for uh, Amazon or Seattle being a, a tech hub? So uh, such a big difference since uh, Seattle made uh, Amazon made Seattle its global headquarters back in 2010. Uh, and I should tell you that's right about the time I actually moved to the city. It was a smaller city. Rents were Rents were very uh, low. I would describe them as low back then when I got here in 2010, and they are just outrageous now. There's been so much growth. Uh, Amazon has increased the size of its campus. It continues to build. I believe it's still committed to another 12 million square feet of office space, still coming to our city, by the way, by like 2022. Thousands and thousands of tech workers. I think we have a total of 40,000 tech workers now here in the Seattle area because of Amazon. And it's, it's got rents out of control. It's got traffic out of control. But at the same time, you know, it brings a lot of money to the city. Yeah, I wonder with, um, you know, there are so many companies, public-facing companies, from Starbucks to Microsoft to Nordstrom, that are based in the Seattle area, Boeing with their commercial airplanes division. Um, and yet I read this morning that Seattle is almost like a the biggest company town in the country. More than 20%, I think I read, of the office space in Seattle is now taken up by Amazon. It is. It is. It has continued to grow. And honestly, I'm going to tell you what, when I first heard that they were going to open a second headquarters out of our city yesterday, I personally thought, thank God, we don't have room for any more growth. Uh, There's traffic just on their downtown campus here, uh, not far from our studios. There's, you know, you're going through two stoplights maybe to get to the freeway. If you're going in afternoon times, like work times, uh, you're, you're, you're an hour, maybe, just trying to get through those two traffic lights, and it's, it's less than a mile. It's, it's ridiculous. And rents, let me give you an idea. I'm, again, I moved here in 2010. A two-bedroom apartment is what I moved into. At that time, it was $785 a month. The same apartment now, $1,440. Wow, doubling in a seven-year period. That's more than doubling in a seven-year period. Yeah, and I am, to be clear, 30 minutes north of the city. So in the city, it's, it's even worse. What does the Amazon feel like in the city? Have they built skyscrapers? I think people have seen the images of the balls that they've built the spheres, out in front. The spheres, yeah. The spheres, yeah. They're not, those, the spheres aren't completely, com- they're not finished just yet. Um, but yeah, they have a tall, I've, they're not extremely tall skyscrapers like you might see in New York City or something like that, but they're tall buildings. I don't recall exactly how many floors they are. But it takes up the whole uh, South Lake Union area, the majority of it. They call it their South Lake Union campus, and that's where those spheres are. And pretty much that little corner of town, the South Lake Union neighborhood, is, is all theirs. They've got, you know, there are people out on the street that are handing out bananas to their workers, and, and even if you're walking by there, they'll give you the bananas. It's, uh, it's kind of a fun culture. When we when we think about the the health of a city, uh, you know what kind of uh, peril is a city in or face when they are so dependent on a single company, a, a single uh, you know employer? Uh, it, Amazon is creating a second headquarters, so this isn't any stretch of a, uh, a worry that they're going to leave Seattle or abandon Seattle. But is there that concern that you know? Seattle has been built around Amazon and Amazon has been built within Seattle, that it's such an integrated part of the community that if they were ever to leave, it could be catastrophic. 
No, I mean, and I don't think so. I, I think there's concern that if they did leave altogether, it could be catastrophic. But you have to remember, we have Microsoft. We have Boeing. There is some concern I've read from some folks this morning, some of our, uh, again, our local leaders. You know, we've, we've lost some Boeing business. Boeing has built some planes uh, in other states. Uh, in fact, I think our governor is trying to convince Boeing right now to build its next mid-sized plane here and keep those jobs here. Um, Microsoft, we really haven't seen them uh, leave any jobs. They've pretty much stayed the same size here. As for Amazon, though, if this, there are some people, some lawmakers that I've seen think that this is the beginning of Amazon saying Seattle, uh, they, they don't like that the rents are this high. It's, it's not a friendly business town. Some people are doomsdayers who think this is the beginning of them trying to get out of our city. And if that happens, it would be a huge blow for the city. You know, the, the thing that I, I like to think about is, uh, the Amazon effect. Like Amazon has been good for Seattle. So Amazon could be good for somebody else, right? Like this is an opportunity to, for a share the wealth type of uh, situation for another city to, uh, to thrive and flourish. Especially as Amazon throws the retail industry into chaos and now they're getting into movie studio work and, and they control so much of the server market. They're just in so many different industries and so many cities across the country have had their hometown companies bought or go out of business as the economy has changed. So this really is an opportunity for Amazon to lift up a city that maybe hasn't necessarily fared the best as the economy has transformed in this technological revolution. Absolutely. These 50,000 jobs and a second headquarters equal to what we have here in Seattle would be a huge boon for whatever city it goes to. Uh, there Again, you're going to have the the things like you know, the traffic, and it only took a few years for it to happen here. Your rents are going to increase. You know, when you get all these, te- these thousands of tech workers come in, they're high-paid tech workers, they can afford to pay more, and, their you know, the rents start to rise, and there's this big influx of people. But as uh, I think we interviewed somebody from GeekWire yesterday who said, look, we really wanted to have these jobs stay here in Seattle, and any city would, would love to have our problems, like the people who complain about the traffic and the rents and everything here. So I think for sure it could be a huge, huge opportunity for another city. You know, those incentives, speaking of Boeing, the uh, 777X, I think it came down to Seattle versus St. Louis, and incentives were were front and center there. I know there was a, a union situation in Washington State that also played into that, but incentives, I mean, Jill, we talked with Jill Schlesinger from CBS News this morning, and she said... Those cities are going to start lining up and they're going to show Amazon how much they love them by giving them money, potentially. Absolutely. I mean, there's going to be a a crazy bidding war with all of those incentives involved, I'm sure. I think I saw uh, on the news last night, uh, it was maybe 20 cities already in the bidding. Are you, are you, is your city in the bidding? St. Louis is getting, getting their application together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's crazy. We did talk to one expert here who seems to think Toronto in Canada is going to be the, the front runner because he said that the immigration issue uh, is such a big deal here in our state and so many tech workers are not in our state, in our country, mm-hmm. uh, and that so many tech workers are are uh, here on work visas that they want to go maybe somewhere where it's uh, not such a big issue, where it's a little more friendlier as far as immigration. But who knows? We'll see. Well, and Justin Trudeau. Let's just leave it at that, right? Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, Hannah, thanks so much for joining us and taking the time to talk about uh, what this Amazon, uh, I guess, major disruption, as they like to do, disruption in the uh, local economic development agencies all around. Oh, Michael, you have another question. Well, I just am curious, with all the things that Amazon's experimenting with, do you guys have drones delivering 
packages and beta tests in the air there and you know these Amazon uh, beta test uh, shops where you can just grab the item off the shelf and walk out the door and just all the things, the crazy things they're coming up with. Is that cool to be in their home city and do you get to experience some of those new innovations? I have not personally experienced, but yes, I know there are drone deliveries that go on here. Um, the various little stop uh, shops where you can like order right before you get there and run in and get it out of a locker. We have all of those. And they're very convenient for people, but I don't. There, a lot of that is down near their big campus, and I don't go there because the traffic is very bad. <laughs> Hannah Scott from KIRO in Seattle, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome, guys. And thank you for joining us this week on this edition of Nothing Impossible. We'll be back next week, and we'll do it again. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.